Ahoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 260 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, thank you so much for joining us this week on a delayed podcast. So, long story short, the Skype recorder I was using for my chat with Chris garbled the file, it took a long time to get it fixed, but we got it there, I think it sounds pretty good. So, Chris and I got together to discuss uh, Mets coaching staff and a couple other uh, Mets-related things, as well as talking about the World Series champion Astros, and, and specifically World Series champion Carlos Beltran. So let's get right to that. Well, Chris, we are back after a, a little bit of a, of a break due to the World Series and a couple other things. So I guess just to start off, how much of the World Series did you watch? Uh, decent amount. I mean, I had a, a few other things going on. I, I'd say I was in tune with what was going on. With those games on a regular basis, um, I I feel like I missed out a tiny bit because the uh, was it game five that was yeah. insane. Yes, and it ended at like two in the morning. Yeah, uh, our time here. So I, you know, I'd gone to a concert and I got out and I saw some of the craziness, and then I saw the Dodgers take a lead. Um, No, sorry. I saw the Astros take the lead, and then I dozed off before it got tied and went to extra innings and then, you know, went on from there. So uh, that's just one example of sort of how, you know, how how it all worked out. The one game that I got to see all of was uh, Seven. Okay. Which objectively was, like, the the worst game game (laughs) of the series. Uh, But I saw a good amount of it and, and, uh, you know, as had come up on the site, uh, I'm very happy for Carlos Beltran. Uh, also easy to root for, you know, Springer, Altuve, Correa. Colin McHugh and uh, Juan Centeno, come on. Yes, 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 sorry. <laughs> uh, well, if we're, Tyler Clippard, really, you know. Yeah, that is true also. <laughs> I was one of the last Tyler Clippard defenders, I think, when he was still a, being, uh, you know, talked about among Mets fans or by Mets fans. Uh so yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. How about you? Uh, I, I watched a lot of it for that that epic game, uh, game five. I uh, we had game. I guess game five was that Sunday night game. So a tree came down in my neighborhood and brought down three traf- uh, three um, utility poles and blew up a transformer. Okay. So I lost power <laughs> in the middle of that game. Like after uh... the Astros had taken the lead. And then I lost power, so I went to bed just presuming that the Astros won eleven eight because that's the last I saw. But then, yeah, that is, right is that also when when you the last you saw? Yeah, pretty much. And it wasn't that you know I didn't make an active decision knowing especially how the series had been going. Right. Um, but I, I I didn't decide like oh yeah eleven eight that's over. But that is the last thing I saw and. I just assumed. So when I woke up and saw, you know, the extra innings and thirteen twelve, <laughs> yeah, I went, "Oh, what happened there?" Yeah, the same thing as we had no power for like a day and a half. And so when I woke up the next morning, I was telling my wife, like, "Yeah, it was a hell of a game." And I, you know, the power went out before I could watch the end of it. But you know, it was, oh, I feel so good for the Astros. And I checked the score and I got to work. And I was like, "Oh wait, that was that was not even the end of it." So yeah, uh, it was it was a pretty pretty fun World Series to watch. We've now yeah. had two years in a row of very, very 
compelling World Series play that doesn't involve the Mets. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that the Mets were in the World Series was compelling enough uh, in the first place. Right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even if the series wasn't necessarily uh, an all-time classic. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, but you mentioned being happy for Carlos Beltran. I don't know if you watched much of the post-game celebration, but he seemed to have a, a whole lot of legitimate emotion behind winning, and it just it just felt great to see for him. You know, he's... He's such a maligned Met for no good reason whatsoever. And, right. And uh, to see him be able to get the ring, you know, that that is seemingly the last piece in the Cooperstown puzzle for him. And uh, although I do fear now that he might go in as an Astro, even though he was an Astro nah. for such a short amount of time. He, yeah, nah, know, no way. I, could, I, I think it'll be a neutral. Oh, okay. If, if anything. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it in aggregate, I, I I get it, you know the historic postseason run he had with the Astros when they didn't win at all, uh, and then he spends a decade, over a decade, getting booed by Astros fans, only to return to the team in the year that they win their first World Series ever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in in his worst season as a professional major league player. Um, do you think Do you think this is it for him? If I had a guess, I'd say probably. You know, you get you get that achievement um you know you're coming off a season that and and hey i i hate to be a guy to doubt carlos beltran uh you know as recently as 2016 he was still putting up really good numbers as a hitter um you know overall a valuable player so i i hate to write a guy off but especially somebody like that who i've you know cared about for uh, twelve years now. I mean, you know, he was a likable, notable player before he became a Met, but twelve years since. Twelve years then. since he proclaimed it the new Mets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but if I had a guess, I'd say, yeah, you know, that that might be it. You go out on the team achievement and, uh, you know, kind of live uh, happily ever after. It's. I would if he if he wants to play another season, I will acquiesce to the demand that some make for the DH and the NL, and you know <laughs> he and he and David Wright can share the role and uh, you know be DH platoon partners and and get the Mets their World Series title that we've been waiting for for uh, for some time now, and and then he can retire. But in reality, I think he'll probably call it here uh it's a good way to go out he's he's a hall of fame bound player now um and i, th- and I think it would have been too if he you know even if this didn't happen uh but he's a hall of fame bound player he's won a championship um you know obviously money is no issue so i would totally understand if he if he hangs him up yeah i, I think that's the most likely outcome too just for all the reasons that you said. He also seems like a guy who has a really good understanding of that baseball is not the only thing in his life. Like, you know, he's done a lot of good charity work, and he seems to be very dedicated to his family. So he seems like a guy who will enjoy his retirement, and so I hope he does just that. Yeah, absolutely. And continues to do great work for the people of Puerto Rico, and specifically Puerto Rican baseball. So it'll be great to see what he does with his uh, with his newfound time. 
So that was that was the big baseball news, obviously. Uh, on the Mets side of things, they picked up the options for both Jerry Blevins and Ezra Cabrera for 2018. Uh, I know we're going to have a lot of time to talk about our 2018 plans, especially with the AOP starting. By the time you hear this, there will probably be an AOP post on Mason Avenue. If not, it'll be within a couple of days. So look out for that. But, you know, uh, overall in broad strokes, you know, I've seen a lot of people criticize this because they say that, well, you know, you can't bring back the same team and expect different results. And I definitely understand that. But I don't think the Jerry Blevins, I think the Blevins option was a no-brainer to pick up. Blevins has been very effective. It's a a cost-effective option. It -hmm. adds a little bit of stability to what is a a pretty uh, unsure bullpen. So I'm not against that move at all. And for Azubo Cabrera, you know, for the price, it was $8.5 million. He's a pretty versatile player. He can still hit the ball. I don't think it's necessarily the greatest move of all time, but I I can't get too mad at the move either. Uh, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I'm totally in support of it. Um, you know, it's one of those things that I understand. Uh, like you said, Blevins was a no-brainer. Uh, really, when he signed that contract, uh, that was the kind of team option that you looked at and said, that's basically there if he gets hurt, you know. Right, yeah. To the point that he can't pitch, uh, and then there's not that third year on that contract. But as long as he stays healthy and maintains uh, major league competence, you know, not even necessarily his best work, that was going to be picked up. So that... Yeah, that was obvious. Cabrera, uh, I feel like Mets fans got a little sick of a little too quickly, which, you know, <laughs> don't know if you ever heard that story before. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it's there's no reason that he should be uh, emblematic of an entire offseason strategy. Um, you know, if, if he ends up going into the year as a starting player, at either second or third base. And if the Mets don't also, you know, improve uh, the, the situation at the other position, okay, you know, then that that's something to complain about uh, at that time. But that's not his fault, and it shouldn't be a problem to pay somebody uh, who still hit pretty well in 2017, you know, relative to the league, you know, it was odd that his home runs went down in a year that everybody's went up, but, uh, the batting average was identical. You know, the on-base percentage went up a bit. Slugging was down a little, uh, as you might expect with the dip in home runs. And then relative to league average, he was, he was still good. You know, a, a, a solid above average hitter. Um, and, you know, you take defensive metrics that changed from uh, 2016 to 17. And, and you know, perhaps rightfully so. But that basically explains when you go to look at his war on uh, your side of preference that it, that it went down. So I can actually be fine with living with him as, you know, plan A at a position if they do things throughout the rest of the roster. Right. Um, but this is a team that shouldn't necessarily have to do that. I, if they can go into the season where he's sort of your, uh, it's not a term that really gets used much in baseball, but your fifth infielder. Right. Um, then even better. 
you know, you're, you're not a team uh, and, you know, not even necessarily saying uh, in the New York City market, but a, a major league team with the amount of money that flows through the game uh, these days should not have to sweat that guy, you know, your fifth infielder, somebody who's going to, you know, get three, 400 plate appearances at second and third and maybe fill in a couple times at shortstop, even if that's not ideal. Um, it shouldn't be a big deal, you know? Well, I, I have kind of two points to piggyback off of that. The first is that, doesn't it seem like the Mets have about four fifth infielders, though, on their roster? Between, uh... between Wilmer Flores, TJ Rivera... Azrubo Cabrera, uh, Matt Reynolds, uh, Gavin Giacchini. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, they've got they've got the <laughs> pretty much the whole collection. Yeah. Uh, um. But my other question, though, was you know another bit of of Mets uh, news here that the, they've released Nori Aoki, and. Well, I don't think Aoki was the answer for 2018 in any capacity. Doesn't that seem a little bit like a, a, a strange move for a team to make? Do you think they're really sweating his salary and that's why they got rid of him? Or do they feel he's not even worthy of a fourth outfielder, fourth or fifth outfielder spot, but they signed him during the season to be exactly that? It just it's, It seems very odd to me. I don't think he did anything in his Mets tenure, to sour himself to the team performance-wise. So I don't know why they wouldn't keep him on the roster for next year. He, he wasn't a free agent. He was arbitration eligible. But he wasn't going to make a huge amount of money in arbitration. He probably might even come down from his uh, arbitra- from his salary from last year. Oh, that's rare, but, you know, probably right. not much of an improve, not much of an increase. Yeah, so yeah, that... that... Uh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's when that happened. I thought, oh shit, the Mets aren't going to spend anything this season. This off season. <laughs> but then breaking up Cabrera's option seemed like an odd move, having just done that with, with Aoki. Yeah, so it's sort of a situation where it's like, I get it. Um, you know that he was signed when he was. That they basically needed a body, and he needed a place to play to, uh, you know, try to sustain his major league career. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's... Letting him go certainly wasn't something that I thought too much of, but... Yeah, it's... I guess part of me goes back to, you know, a slightly different situation where they pick up Bruce's option, try to trade him, a bunch doesn't work out. Um, you know, it, it's maybe uh, still in their memories or, or whatever. But to your point, you know, if, if you have a guy who can be a competent major league outfielder as your fourth or fifth guy, and you don't have to pay him all that much money. That it would basically be like the outfield version of Cabrera. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, the Aoki thing to me, if if I'm trying to be optimistic about it, I think it might just be, 
that they sort of made this arrangement that, hey, you can play here um, for a little while and then we'll let you go so you can, you know, go on and, and seek your next contract or whatever. Um, but, you know, if it's a, any more complex than that, then outfield depth is something that I think has to be on the team's radar this year. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's not a <laughs> problem one, two, three, four, or five on the priority list, but it's, you know, something to think about. Uh, there's there's not a lot of depth at the upper minors, and uh, most of the outfielders who are well, uh, well-reviewed, I guess I'll say, <laughs> aren't that high up yet. Yeah. We're not going to get into who the Mets should sign in the outfield just yet. We have some time for that. But, yeah, it just struck me as a little bit odd. Um, And then I guess the last bit of Mets news before we get to some emails is that Mickey Calloway has named most of his coaching staff. Uh, They still have to add an assistant hitting coach if they're going to add that position. But um, the uh, we talked about last time... Actually, no, we didn't. I guess it was right after we recorded with Pat Rossler getting a two-year extension and being the hitting coach, uh, Dave Island as the as, as the pitching coach, Ruben Amaro Jr., everyone's favorite former Phillies GM, as the first base slash outfield coach, uh, Ricky Bonus coming back as the bullpen coach, as is third base coach Glenn Sherlock, and Gary DiScarcina uh, is coming on as the bench coach. Uh, both Amaro and DiScarcina were with the Red Sox organization last year, and Island was with the uh, Royals. And, uh, yeah, I I know it's a little bit hard to make judgments on coaching decisions, especially for you know guys we may not be super familiar with, but do you have any gut feelings, Chris, about these coaching moves? Uh, yeah, I'd say overall I like them. Uh, you know, the Callaway hire, I think, was something that people might not have expected and certainly is a uh, well-reasoned choice, I would say. And the rest of the staff being filled out the way that it has is, uh, you know, somewhat encouraging to me. Uh, you know, Kevin Long leaving to go to the Nationals, okay, that's fine. Uh, you know, Rossler was sort of his... Uh, Man, I don't want to... Uh, the Robin to his uh, Batman. <laughs> um, not to, not in an insulting way, but, it, you know, he. I'm sure he picked up plenty about what Long does, and I'm sure they shared uh, overall philosophies and everything. So, uh, you know, a lot of the... In that role, I think, is about the sort of relationships that you have with the players, but that seems like it's not going to be that much of a change. Um, Disarcina, I think, is uh, seemingly a good hire. You know, it, it's tough to really make a judgment about a guy who is a bench coach for a year in the major leagues uh, this year, but it was with the Red Sox. They, you know had plenty of success even though it wasn't there in the postseason um you know worked under a manager that i think is well uh 
well liked and respected in the game, even though he lost his job after the season, as many managers did. Um, and and Island, uh, yeah, he's he's got a track record. Uh, two one thing with Island, or, or two things really, um, sort of related. I didn't realize his age. I thought he was quite a bit older than he actually is. How old is he? I have no idea. Uh, I think it's fifty-one. Okay. And I didn't really even think anything of it until I was looking. I saw somebody mention that he had been teammates with Mickey Calloway. Oh, look at that. Wow. Uh, and then I went, wait, what? Like, I know Mickey Calloway is, what, 40? 42, I believe. Yeah. Um, so I just, I don't know. I had a perception of Island being 20 years older than he was, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... But yeah, it, it all seems to make sense. Uh, you know, uh, the Amaro Jr. hire for first base and infield base running type coach, I think, was uh, maybe laughed at a bit. And it, I certainly laughed when he transitioned from a general manager role to that. But, you know, you hear things from people who have exposure to uh, the industry and saying that. Hey, that actually might be a good thing, a, a good hire. So, yeah, you, you know, you look around, it, it, it's not a completely overturned coaching staff, but it's largely new faces, uh, especially in the most important roles on it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. I like it. Uh, and now I hope that they give these coaches the players that they need to do what they got to do well that's the real question isn't it you know uh all these hires could look brilliant if they have a great off season or it could look terrible if they have a uh you know a, a typical Mets off season um one of the things that I thought was interesting is uh I don't know if if there's anything to coaches coming over from the same team but with DeSarcina and uh Amaro coming over from the Red Sox I wonder if that helps at all if it helps to have two coaches who who kind of know each other a little bit although i don't know how much the bench coach and first base coach interact or how much that matters but i find it interesting that both of those i i know it's because the red sox are changing managers and so coaching staff changes with them but it seems a little bit odd to me that the mets have the mets have hired now you know a manager and uh two other coaches that are from I guess the manager's a little bit different, but hiring coaches from teams that made the playoffs, it just seems it seems like everybody has had recent success, and it's odd that people with such recent success find themselves unemployed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as a like an overall theme in baseball, it's kind of odd. Yeah, odd. That's the right word for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I'm overall optimistic about it. I think it's just good to have some fresh blood in there. Yeah. So. All right, we got two emails. Uh, we'll we'll start with the most recent email because this one does involve Mickey Calloway. And so, um, our friend Michael emailed us. He says, "In Mickey Calloway's press conference, he talked about throwing the curveball more. I was wondering how much of an effect it would have on guys like Seth Lugo, Jerry Blevins, and Stephen Mads, all who have plus curveballs." Uh, here's a second question. We'll get to in a second. But what do you think about that, Chris? Uh, do you think that having a a manager who has experience working with guys with plus curveballs who encourage them to throw their curveballs more 
Will that have much of an impact on the uh, twenty eighteen Mets? Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I, and I know that's a cop out, but it's sort of a thing where you know you you can suggest it as an overall philosophy, maybe try to implement it through the pitching coach. But you know, things that we had heard had sounded sort of like he, as a pitching coach in Cleveland. Um, didn't necessarily, you know, force something on pitchers who didn't fit into that mold. But you do have a few pitchers who are on this staff who throw curveballs, um, you know, and that that might be something where you have a suggestion of, hey, maybe this is uh, just a more effective pitch, may, perhaps healthier um, than a slider. I don't know whether it is or it isn't, but you know, it, sort of getting guys to have some faith in that pitch and, you know, see if it works better for them. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that it is necessarily something that he's going to really try to force upon them. And yeah, I mean, uh, for the pitchers who, have had success to Grom, Syndergaard, uh, let them do what they do, you know? Yeah. And then the guys who have dealt with injuries and struggles and all that, I think that's somebody who might be a little more receptive to the suggestion that, Hey, uh, you know, you spent all last season trying to do what you did in the past. Why don't we try this? Uh, you know, see if it works better. Somebody like Steven Matz, you know, and backed away from throwing the slider for the right. sake of his elbow. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, um, I will also say I think it's uh, to be very interesting to watch Callaway transition from being a pitching coach to a manager. Whereas, like you know, just because he encouraged folks to throw a curveball when he was pitching coach, I don't know how much of a backseat he's going to take. I don't know how much of a of a presence he's going to be in terms of talking with the pitchers about pitching right away because you don't want to come in and make it look like you're you've hired a, a a pitching coach that you're not going to really use. You know what I mean? So he might he might defer to Island a bit on that sort of stuff. Right, and especially one who has now a pretty long track record in the majors and um you know, has been the part of some successful teams. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and then our final email today is, is over a month old, I think. And this comes from our friend uh, David. He, yes. Uh, uh, apologies for that, David. Yeah. But well, actually, was... you, know, you know what? We didn't finish Mike's second question here. So he's, oh. um, <laughs> He said he went to a Knicks game recently, and he noticed that there was a lot of music played during the game. And he said that the Knicks were winning, so it felt kind of like a party. And he was wondering how we would feel about this happening in Major League Baseball. He mentions that uh, Winter League games and the WBC – sometimes feature music during the games. Um, I try and never be old and stodgy about stuff, but yeah, but no, but no, no, I, I really like the sounds of the ballpark as they are. And I'm not somebody, I'm not, I'm not Keith Hernandez complaining about walk-up music. That's fine. That's fun. Uh, but in terms of in game music, there's something about the crack of the bat Something about the noises of the game that I I'm very nostalgic for, and uh, excuse me, yeah, I don't I don't want music during the game. Yeah, same here. And you know, 
we're uh, the only standards by which we would say we are old. Truly, now would be if we were professional athletes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would have said no to that uh, at you know fifteen, twenty one, and and I still do now. Um, it's it's always been it struck me as sort of odd the way that that is in the NBA, um, and it, it's fine. It's just it's just that it's a little weird. Yeah. Uh, Again, not to go full Keith Hernandez here, but I've, it's alarming when you go to the ballpark now to see how few people are actually watching the game at any given time. I feel like if you took, if you added another layer of distraction by adding music during the game, I think you're going to have even less folks watching carefully, keeping score, etc. Yeah, I will say that if in in a hypothetical situation that it was the norm uh, and teams had free reign over what to play. I'd love to see what sort of stuff they would choose. You know, you could hire like a, a, a director of musical, um, a, a DJ. <laughs> well, yes, you're a, a DJ, but uh, musical interruption, uh, unsettling. Ah, yeah. Yeah. New word, you, you know, and this is something that I think we've talked about in the past a little bit with like the pregame music and teams uh, putting on stuff. And, you know, I think I've had suggestions of just music that is not uh, easily accessible mm-hmm. to the vast majority of, of listeners uh, to get under the other team's skin and then do all that. So so um, early Sonic Youth, first, first two Sonic Youth records blare, yeah. blaring before Mets games. Right. Or just, uh, yeah, yeah. I, so I'm talking about musical warfare in the context of baseball games in a hypothetical world in which that is the, uh, you know, the way things are. So I don't know. I think I've sort of gotten off track here. That's right. <laughs> um, anyway, back to David's email. Uh, I'm just going to summarize here because it, it's a bit of a long email, but he's essentially looking to 2018 and has a couple of ideas for the roster, which is a, a great time to again mention. Our AAOP, the Mason Avenue off-season uh, projections or uh, predictions, rather uh, plan. Con- plan, whatever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's now the AAOW, the Amazing Avenue off-season, whatever contest. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, where where you get to play the GM and, and give the Mets a, a plan for the off-season, and we have some prizes for those that uh, that come in in the top three spots. We are also going to hopefully maybe get some of those folks on the podcast to talk about it. it, it plans are still up in the air, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. I always have a lot of fun with my AOP every season, and so David gets in the spirit of it here uh, with some plans. Again, let's just summarize here. He suggests that the Mets sign Lance Lynn and Doug Fister as dependable back end starters to uh, help uh, prevent, uh, I guess, protect against injuries, which would lead to a starting five of Thor Degrom. Lance Lynn, Doug Fister, and then Harvey Gazelman, Lugo, and Mats fight it out for the uh, the fifth spot. He also mentions that uh, Wheeler will be addressed in his next email. And uh, then he ends by asking us, Lance Lynn, four years and $72 million. Fister, one year and $7 million. Does that make sense? I think it's a little bit high for Lance Lynn. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, I do have this sort of thing with him that I'm like, 
is this the guy who, you know, has that good season that I don't buy and he stays good? Uh, is that happening again? You know, right. and you think of that more with like fantasy baseball, really. Um, but, but yeah, I don't, I'm not blown away by him on a, you know, one or two year deal, which is probably not something that would be low enough for him to, uh, accept. I, I'd be okay with him, you know, even if he kind of bottoms out, um, a little bit, it shouldn't be like he's a, an unusable pitcher, but I don't know. I just don't see it a year or two years from now. I might sound silly, uh, for not being totally in love with him, but yeah, that that's, that's where I'm at with him. I don't dislike the idea of bringing in two veteran innings eaters. Right. Yeah. 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 No, the, the concept I'm on board with, you know, and, and that's something I think I've been wanting since it was obvious that, you know, the, the pitching wasn't writing itself during the 2017 season. Um, I just don't know that Fister and Lynn are the guys for it. You know, Fister is a guy who one year, 7 million being the suggestion. Sure. And uh, again, you know, under the assumption that the Mets are willing and able to spend money um, commensurate with what major league teams have at their disposal. I'd be okay with that. I'd much prefer, uh, you know, some other pitchers in that role, but you know, that's the kind of guy you can roll the dice and, you know, it, the odds are decent that he can be better than, you know, the current versions of Steven Matz and Matt Harvey, which right. <clears throat> didn't really expect to be saying that after Doug Fister threw 90 innings in the major leagues right, with a 4.88 ERA, but, uh, you know, here we are. Yeah, I... I'm I'm kind of tipping my hat here for my AOP, but it shouldn't come as a surprise as a surprise to anybody. I would rather Bartolo and Bartolo Colon and R. A. Dickey in those spots for for right. for two reasons. Uh, well, three reasons. One, because they're the best. They're they're bays. Yeah. Uh, but 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 the two actual reasons is I feel like both of those guys are more likely to stay healthy, and so give you the actual innings that you need. Versus uh, just just because I mean Dickey has no. You know, is missing a ligament, and Bartolo Colon, you know, is one of the more consistently healthy pitchers in all of baseball. So that's part of it. But also, I feel like both of those guys, you're not going to get necessarily an argument from if you have to shift them out of the rotation. They're both older veteran pros who are probably expecting to move to the bullpen at some point in their careers anyway, and some point sooner than later. So... I feel like if you sign Lance Lynn to a $72 million contract and Matt Harvey puts it back together, who would you rather have out there? Lynn or Harvey? And if it comes to that, you're not going to, you know, it's just, it, it, it makes the situation uncomfortable to have a, a, a starter at that price at that level. Like, obviously, if somehow the Mets could get Chris Sale, that's a difference. You know, then, then you know, who cares? But to pay for somebody who's, Who's a who's slightly above average or an average pitcher, and then have them potentially impact the playing time if one of the Mets young pitchers puts it all together? I wouldn't be in favor of that. Right. 
But uh, but yeah, thank you guys for the email. As always, you can email us podcast at amazingavenueaudio dot com. And uh, any other closing remarks, Chris? No, uh, looking forward to the contest, and uh, you know we'll we'll see. Maybe the Mets will blow us away, and we'll have some emergency editions of the podcast coming up uh, in the near future because they sign players that exceed uh, everybody's expectations. That would be wonderful. From your lips to Sandy's ears. There you go. Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio, and the biggest news this week is that the World Series is awesome, but the biggest news in the Mets circles is that it looks like they are almost going to completely redo their coaching staff with the with the exception of Glenn Sherlock, who's already under contract for next year as the third base coach, with Mickey Calloway taking over at manager. Now, the uh, the reports from multiple outlets are saying that the Mets are going to part ways with Kevin Long as he's getting looked at at a lot of places. I know the Yankees are interested in him for the manager position. There are other clubs in looking at him as a hitting coach or a manager. So Kevin Long, who obviously did a good job with Curtis Granderson during his time with the Mets, did a good job with some of the other hitters. Overall, this year, their their hitting was pretty good. It was obviously the pitching that let them down. We don't need to go through that again. But Kevin Long, with his work with the Yankees and now the Mets, has shaped himself into a really popular guy. And it looks like the Mets are going to let him do his thing elsewhere. In fact, the New York Daily News is reporting that the club's working on a two-year deal for current assisting Current assistant hitting coach Pat Rossler for to be and and that contract would be to be the 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 regular hitting coach, not just the assistant hitting coach. So not every team has an assistant hitting coach. It's not a position you necessarily need, but the, the Mets do. They had Kevin Long and Pat Rossler last year, so this year they might not have an assistant. They might just have Rossler. We'll see what they do with that. It also looks like Tom Goodwin's the first base coach is on his way out. So. Uh, and and obviously Mickey Mickey Callaway going to probably get his own guy for or someone he knows for the pitching coach position, and you'll have a staff that looks a lot different than it looks like right now. Though it looks like again Glenn Sherlock still going to be the third base coach probably, or I suppose he could move to a different role. But uh, and Pat Rossler, it looks like he's going to be the hitting coach. So. Those are two roles, and you also have Mickey Calloway as the manager, um, but there are still questions about who he's going to hire for his pitching coach, who's bench coach is going to be, stuff like that. So still a lot of questions for the Mets as we get ready, as I'm recording on a Wednesday afternoon before Game 7 of the World Series, as amazingly, for the third time in four years, we're going to a Game 7 the lone exception, the stupid New York Mets losing in five games because they couldn't hold on to a darn lead. Obviously, that series could have obviously gone seven games, and obviously we're still frustrated about it, but uh, it's been good for baseball that we're having another dramatic series, uh, another two two pretty big markets 
imagine if this was the the Yankees doing this instead of the Astros, as amazing the Astros have been. If the Yankees have been doing this against the Dodgers in a dramatic seven-game series, baseball baseball would be right back in the national consciousness. Not that it isn't. It really is after the the classic Game 5 and Game 2, both games won by the Astros. If the Dodgers, who did a great job bouncing back with uh, great pitching from Rich Hill and the bullpen with Kenley Jansen closing it out last night, if they were able to pull this off and win Game 7, it'll be a lot like the 2001 World Series with the Yankees getting the dramatic wins, but Arizona just pulling it out in the end. And that's what's been the story of this series. It's been Houston with two amazing dramatic victories in the games that will be remembered forever. But the Dodgers have just as many wins so far. They have gotten the job done when they needed to. So it's going to be incredibly interesting to see what will happen tonight. The whole baseball world and the sports world will have its eyes on Chavez Ravine for um, what should be a classic. And by the time you're listening to this, you'll probably know whether or not it was a classic and who won the World Series. And either way, no matter what the result is, it could be a blowout for the Dodgers, it could be a blowout for the Astros, which is why what I'm saying is still relevant. Either way, it's going to be remembered as a great World Series. And that's great for baseball. So, uh, so hopefully it's just as enjoyable as I think it's going to be. And the Mets then, after the season is finally over, because on Thursday morning, at some point, the season can be over and the Mets will, and everyone else will be officially in off-season mode and looking at free agents and coaching changes and all the hot stove stuff we love to gobble up. So, we'll look forward to that when it happens. This has been Aaron York for Maze Avenue Audio. Well, folks, that is it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. You can download the show directly from blogtalkradio.com, grab it from Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. We are also on Stitcher, and we would appreciate your reviews, your ratings, and your subscriptions in Apple Podcasts and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to amazingavenue.com to find lots of amazing, pardon the pun, Mets content, uh, we're just wrapping up our Met season review series. We're about to launch our free agent series. We're in the middle of AOP season, so get your AOPs out there ASAP. That's a lot of anagrams that begin with A. My apologies. Uh, you can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. And Aaron is at Aaron P. York. So. When we talk to you next time, there will likely be uh, an AOP winner, or at least we'll have some finalists. Maybe we'll talk about the finalists next week on the show. I don't really know yet. But regardless, until next time, let's go Mets.